Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning, everybody. My name is James. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you after the, the service. And if you have your Bibles today, we are going to be in Exodus chapter 20, looking at verse 16. Today we are planning to finish up a teaching series that we've been in for a couple of months now on the Ten Commandments that we've called the Big Ten. And today's um, verse, like I said, was going to be verse 16. Last week, Pastor Terry combined two of our commandments, two of the commandments of God, He combined number eight, which is do not steal, and he combined number ten, do not covet, into one one sermon. He is so gifted, he's able to take two and bring it into one. I had to preach one at a time. So today we're going to be looking at the ninth commandment, and you may be going, well, I thought it was, it's not the tenth, it's because Pastor Terry preached on that last week. Today's commandment that we're looking at is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, to put it positively, it would be guard and advance your neighbor's good name. That's the title of, of my message this morning. And as we're getting started, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had someone in your life bear false witness against you? I want you to think about that. Has anyone ever taken your name and smeared it with lies Or maybe truths. Maybe they shared some things that weren't supposed to be shared in public about you. And it's brought your name shame. Um, Have you ever, here's another one, have you ever been seeking to serve or minister to someone and you've poured out your life and your energies into that person and then at some point you bring a truth to them, uh, trying to help them, and instead of them receiving it, you get judgment. From that person, or you get labeled as being self-righteous, better than everybody else, and uncaring. The question I'm asking is: Have you ever experienced the pain that and the devastation that can come from loving people, that can come from gossip, that can come from lies, and that can come from slander? And I think the answer to that for all of us would be yes. And this morning we plan to explore what this commandment means. What does it mean when God says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor? We're going to look at that, and we're going to seek to see how that we can guard and advance one another's names in a good way instead of destroying it. But before we do that, what I want to do is I want to go to the beginning of chapter 20. As we're closing this series out, I want to go to the beginning and just remind us some things about God and his commandments. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 20. It says, And God spoke all these words to the Israelites, saying, I am the Lord your God. Church, is that not good news? I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, you know, the Israelites have come through the Red Sea. They've come out of Egypt They've come out of bondage. Why? Because God delivered them. And before God gives a commandment, looking at 1 and 2, verses 3 and 17, he gives the Ten Commandments. But before he does that, he does something. 
that is very typical of God. He reminds the people of what he has done for them. That is something when we're looking at the commandments of God, we always have to look around that commandment to see what God has done for us. It's always there if you'll look for it, and it's here right now. This is what the gospel is like. God says to the, to the Israelites, look, I care about you, and I proved it by setting you free from your captives. So now, because you know I love you, because you know who I am, serve me out of gratitude. And that's what the gospel is at the end of the day, where Jesus comes to us and says, you know what? While you were yet sinners, I came down here and displayed my love for you. Before you were my friend, I was your friend, and I died for you. We always have to start with the gospel. We always have to start with what God has done before we do it. Because when we do, when we get the order right, God's commandments are not burdensome. They are not burdensome. As a matter of fact, when we understand what God did for us, it causes us to desire to obey God. It causes us to want to love him and to serve him. Not so he'll save us. We're not serving God so he'll save us. We're serving God because he has saved us. And I, I want to point that out at the, at the very beginning of this, uh, this section here because he, he does this at the beginning of the Ten Commandments. And uh, during our time in the Ten Commandments, have you noticed that there is a recurring pattern? God gives a commandment, and it's usually broad. It's a broad commandment. It's, it's usually general, and oftentimes it's the worst case scenario possible for breaking the given commandment. For example, the sixth commandment, y'all remember, remember the sixth commandment, right? It's, it's right on the tip of your tongue. Do not murder. Yes, say it with me. Do not murder, right? Well, that's one of those where Jesus teaches that it's not just the outward act of you killing someone. He says that it's a heart matter, that anger and hatred that is directed towards your neighbor is a form of murder. What he's showing us here is that we're all guilty of murder to some degree. Or the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. Again, Jesus is teaching that it's not just the outward act that he's going after. It's the inward uh, motive of the heart. Lusting after someone inwardly is breaking that commandment to some degree. Again, we're all guilty of breaking the seventh commandment. We're all guilty, actually, of breaking all of the commandments. And we're also all in need of a Savior. And so God's not just trying to make us feel bad. He's wanting to show us like a good doctor what our problem is, and then he brings the cure, which is his son, Jesus. And he is our perfect lamb. He is the perfect lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sins of the world. Why? Because he is the only one who could obey all ten commandments and keep them perfectly so that we get credit for them, and then he got credit for what we could not do. And you know, in ancient times, forensic science didn't exist. There weren't, uh, they didn't have DNA samples, fingerprinting, and surveillance cameras to provide evidence to submit in a court of law. And I, and I say all this because this commandment, on the surface, it, it begins broad about bearing false witness. It begins broad, and in, in the most immediate context for the ninth commandment is in a court of law. Okay, you following me? 
It's saying, do not lie in court. Now, some of us are going, okay, I've never even been in court. I, did, I haven't broken this. Yes, you, yes. By the end of this, this morning, you will have broken this, or you'll see where you have broken this commandment. Um, but they didn't have forensic science back in the day, so eyewitnesses, reliable, truthful eyewitnesses were crucial. And this is because a man or woman or a, a child's life could hang in the balance based upon people's testimony. And God did not play around when it came to eyewitnesses being honest. I want you to see in Deuteronomy 19, verses 15 through 19, he he spells it out the way this is supposed to be. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. It cannot just be one witness. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious, now look at this. This is very important in verse 16. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judge shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So shall you purge the evil from your midst. Two things here. Number one, that had to be two or three witnesses. And then if the persons testifying were found guilty of perjury, they would suffer the punishment that would have been handed down to the defendant if the defendant had been guilty. God is very serious about speaking the truth in court making sure that we testify truthfully. So broadly, the ninth commandment forbids lying in court, but it's also meant to say, do not lie. Do not lie at all. Don't try to pass off falsehood as truth. And so this commandment is about purity of speech, speaking the truth. God takes this seriously. In, in Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, God, it says that there are six things that the Lord hates. He lists four of them, and then the last two, he says he hates a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. We're going to get into that in just a minute. Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 36, he says, I tell you, On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Our words matter. What we say matters. God takes this very seriously. But if you're like me, the problem is that lying can be so easy, can't it? Uh, It can become very natural. We can do it without even thinking about it. For example, I want you to think about this. When you install a program on your computer or on your phone, and you check that box that says, I have read and fully understand and agree to the terms and conditions stated above, you only laugh at things you can relate to. Or how about more seriously, telling someone that you've been praying for them when really you haven't. 
or saying that you're fine when you're really not. Or how, how about this one? Hey, we need to get together soon. I'm going to call you. I'm, I'm going to text you. Uh, these are types of lies that we tell people. We tell ourselves these things. Now, are all lies bad? That's something that I've been thinking about this week. There's a lot of things I've been thinking about. Are all lies, is, is walking in falsehood always wrong? Um, for example, if you're, taking, if you're in school and you're taking an exam and the correct answer is actually the wrong answer, like it's false, it's not true. Uh, for example, if, they, if the test said evolu- evolution, uh, there's no God and evolution is true and your professor is saying that that is the true answer, should you check that in order to pass the class? You guys follow me on, on is that, should you do that? Um, how about the, in, in the Bible, remember when we were studying earlier in Exodus about the Egyptian midwives who lied to Pharaoh in order to save the lives of the, the Hebrew babies? They lied to him. Rahab, we're going to, if we continue on in the Old Testament, we're eventually going to get to her. She lied in order to protect two Israelite spies from the soldiers in Jericho. She said, no, they went that way, and they were actually in her house. Or how about uh, Corey Ten Boom, who lived during the uh, World War II, during the German, when the Germans were killing the Jews, and her, she and her family hid Jews in her home, and lied about it? Or how about underground churches in countries where you can lose your life for worshiping Jesus? What we're doing here so freely, but in some countries, you have to pretend like you're doing something else. In Burma, my parents helped build a seminary, and they didn't go to the government and say, hey, we're going to build a seminary. They went to the government and said, hey, we're going to put up a water bottling company. And they did. People and but they built a seminary that happens to meet at a bottle, uh, water bottle company. Is that wrong? They, they are lying about, in one sense, what they're doing. So I guess the question that I'm trying to get at is, what is God trying to prohibit in this commandment? Well, it, it's a matter of heart motives. It's a, it's a matter of motives that we're looking at here. Because the commandments of God are good. All of God's commandments are good, and they are meant to preserve and protect life, not to take or to destroy it. And Jesus uh, deals with this in the New Testament about the Sabbath. He says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But he also summarizes the law in in two commandments. Y'all remember those, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first. And then the second one is to what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes... We must break certain laws in order to obey the law of love. Now, what I'm teaching right here can be very dangerous because this is, it can become a thing where you're like, well, I'm just going to break this law because this is the law of love. And really, you're breaking the law that you should be keeping. So this is a very dangerous teaching if, you're not, if we're not mature enough to have discernment in these things. But there are situations that, like I just explained, where we need to break the law in order to obey the law of God. Um, we all know that driving, when you're driving on the road, that it is wrong to run through red lights, through intersections, right? Amen. But uh, 
when we had our first child. It was late at night. Kelly said, oh, my water broke. I said, all right, let's get in the car. I came, every time I came to a red light, I ran right through it. Now, I looked both ways, but I went right through it. Was I sinning against God doing that? I, I bet you if a policeman had pulled me over, they would, and I said, like that, he would have, been, he would have turned his lights on, and, and I would have gotten an escort straight to the hospital. There are times like that. There are times like where the midwives and Rahab and Corey Tin Boom lied in order to preserve life. And then in, in, in the ninth commandment, what is God concerned about? So let's get to that. He's concerned about his image bearers. That's us. He's concerned about us being dehumanized us being defamed, us being destroyed because of false testimonies or because of falsehood. Because when we lie, you know what we're doing? We're suppressing the truth. And when we suppress the truth, we suppress the glory of God. And lying goes against God's character. You know, it says in Scripture that God cannot lie. Think about that. He can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Everything he says is always true. Now, the reason for that is because lying is a sign of weakness. You lie when you can't get what you want any other way, except through deception. God, is, God doesn't have to lie to have his will brought about. And, and God never bears fault, false witness against us. God is always for us. God can always be trusted. He is who he says he is, and he always does what he says he's going to do. He can be fully trusted. So when lies, when someone lies in order to harm or to take advantage of someone, it's not just an attack on that person, but also on the person of God who created us. So that is one of the heart reasons why God forbids lying and bearing false witness. Now, speaking on the topic of bearing false witness, Dwight L. Moody puts it this way, put it this way, language is an essential element in the social fabric. To fulfill its purpose, it must be trustworthy. Words must command confidence. Anything that is that undermines the truth, takes the mortar out of the building, which results in ruin. See, truth, truth is, is the fundamental foundation that trust is built upon. And that's what strong relationships, friendships, business relationships, they're all built upon trust, upon truth of being able to trust someone's word in what they're saying. And lies weaken the bonds of true intimacy and undermine relationships. There is a catechism that was written 450 years ago. It's called the Heidelberg Catechism, which expounds upon the Ninth Commandment. I think it does a good job, and I want to share it with you. It reads this way. The Ninth Commandment means that I never give false testimony against anyone. Twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, 
nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Rather, in court and everywhere, everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are the very devices the devil uses, and they would call down on me God's intense wrath. I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it. And I love this last phrase here. And I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. Now, there's certain aspects of this catechism I want to go over real quickly and kind of uh, expound a little bit more upon them to help us better understand what it means to bear false witness. The first one is twist no one's words. Twist no one's words. When, when we do this, when we twist someone's words, make them say something that they didn't mean, we're following, this is, um, I hate to say this, but we're following the father of lies. We're following Satan himself. That, that's what he did. That's what the, the serpent did in the garden, isn't it? When he said, did God really say? He makes you question what God really meant by what he said. And you know, the, 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 the sad thing about this is that we can be masters of manipulation. We can say what someone said, but say it in a way that changes the meaning of what they said. Or we can leave out parts of, of a conversation. Why? In order to support my view, my idea, my agenda. It can be very self-serving. And we also, guys, we need to be careful when we field other, others' complaints, when someone brings a complaint to us about another. Now, I'm going to get into whether we should even do that, but if someone's bringing you a story about someone else, we've got to be careful because Proverbs 18.8 warns us about this. It says, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Did you know that that proverb is in Proverbs twice? It's there, and it's in chapter 26, verse 22. God is serious about this. Have you ever noticed that? When someone tells you a story, and you're like, oh, my, I cannot believe they did that. Then you hear the other side of the story. You go, oh, I can believe they did that. I understand why they did that. There is always, listen, when we're, getting, uh, when we're trying to deal with situations of conflict, we need to realize there's always two sides to, this, to a story. The second aspect of this catechism I want to look at, it says, never gossip or slander. Never gossip or slander. Now, gossip and slander are horrible sins, but for some reason, they don't get called out like stealing and adultery. Have you ever noticed that? That they can go on without someone really calling you out on, them, on it. And I think that part of that is because in a sick way, um, we can in, actually enjoy this sin. Uh, Proverbs 18.8 says, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the innermost parts. It's kind of like going to the state fair, isn't it? And getting one of those elephant ears. You know what I'm talking about? Those, they're like crispy, bready, hot, and it puts, uh, what's that? Powder, powder sugar, you've eaten it, and you eat it, it's like, oh, this is so good. But then you're like, oh, why did I eat that? that? That's what this is, proverb is saying. That's what, what John's like, no, I never say why did I eat that. I saw you. 
Okay, anyway, hold on. I shouldn't have called you out in front of the whole church like that. I'm so sorry. But the thing about gossip is, once you hear something negative about somebody, you can't not hear it. You can't unhear it. I remember when I was in college, I had a, a roommate, and he came up to me and said, have you ever noticed how Bill is, every time Bill shares, he is so boring. I mean, everything he ever says is boring. And I was like, no, I've never noticed that. Well, I went and hung out with Bill, and he started talking. I'm like, yeah, he is boring. I could never, he could never say anything to me that wasn't boring anymore. And my point is, is I could not get that out of my, my mind. Our words, listen, our words about one another matter. And the word of God is clear that gossip and slander are sins. Leviticus 19.16 says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers, is, is James 4.11. Proverbs 25.9 says, argue, argue your case with your neighbor himself, basically in private, and do not reveal another's secret. Proverbs 16, 28, a dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer, that, that's another word for a gossiper, separates close friends. And you know, gossip and slander are not, not exactly the same thing. Slander is when you say something that is not true about somebody. Gossip, on the other hand, it might be true information, but it's shared unnecessarily. That's important to understand. It's information that you and I, we didn't really need, I didn't really need to know that about that person because it, it's only harming that person's reputation and there's nothing I can do about it or will do about it. Gossip harms not only the individual being spoken of, but it also harms the hearer and the one that is sharing it, whether they realize it or not. Ray Ortland tells us what gossip is. He says, gossip is our dark moral fervor, eagerly seeking gratification. Gossip makes us feel important and needed as we declare our judgments. It makes us feel included to know the inside scoop. It makes us feel powerful to cut someone else down to size, especially someone we are jealous of. It makes us feel righteous, even responsible to pronounce someone else's guilt. Gossip can feel good in multiple ways, but it is of the flesh, not of the spirit. It erodes trust and destroys morale. It creates a social environment of suspicion where everyone must wonder what is being said behind their backs and whether appearances of friendship are sincere. It ruins hard-won reputations with cowardly but effective weapons of misrepresentation. It manipulates people into taking sides when no such action is necessary or beneficial. It unleashes the dark powers of psychological trans transference, doing violence to the gossiper, to the one receiving the gossip, and to the person being spoken against. It makes the body of Christ look like the body of Antichrist. Destroyers rather than healers. Gossip is so destructive. 
And let me ask you something, and you just need to assess your own life. Do people feel comfortable gossiping to you? Um, in other words, are you the person that all the bad news always comes to? And, and maybe it's in the guise of, you know, I just need your counsel on this. I need you to help me to walk through this situation. They bring their complaints to you. It may be that we are enabling people to sin by doing that. We need to assess that. It is so, man, it is so easy to do. It is so easy to allow. And it can be awkward to address, can it, when someone's gossiping. But we need to. So what's the best way to stop gossiping? Well, number one, we have to first be broken of our sin. First thing that before we're going to stop gossiping, we have to come to a place where we're broken about, about it in our own lives. Yes, I am guilty of gossiping, and I'm guilty of allowing people to gossip to me. We have to see it as sin. We have to come to a place where we realize, I'm not just sinning against that person. God, I have sinned against you. And our hearts have to be broken about this sin. And then we have to confess it and then repent and receive the forgiveness of God. That's the beautiful thing about this, is if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So if, if you're feeling guilty right now, right now is the time, Lord, I agree with you. It is sin. Confess it. But then there are some steps that we can take as a body in order to help keep gossip from going forward. How do we stop gossip? Well, Dan Phillips wrote an article called How to Shut Down Gossip and its nasty kin. Great title. But he gives us a list of five things that we can do, that you, questions you can ask someone if they come to you and begin gossiping. Number one, ask this. Why are you telling me this? Isn't that a great question, if someone's gossiping about someone? Often, he says that often, that in itself is such a focusing question that it can bring an end to the gossip. Secondly, you can ask, what's the difference between what you're telling me and gossip? This is a, uh, one of those questions that you can help them diagnose what they're doing and see what they're doing. A lot of times that's a great way uh, to help someone see that they're doing something wrong is just ask questions. Do you um, let me ask you about what you're doing here. What's the difference between this and gossip? Number three, how is your telling me that going to help you and me love God and, brother, and our brothers better and knit us closer together as a church in Christ's love. Number four, now that you've told me about that, what are you going to do about it? Now, he says, if the person says, I'm going to pray about it, then a great follow-up question would be like, well, why didn't you do that before you came to me? You know, it's one of those things where, this is, this is really awkward, isn't it, to do this? But we need, we shouldn't feel comfortable gossiping and slandering amongst one another. Number five, now that you've told me about that, you've morally obligated me to make sure you go talk to so-and-so about it. How long, I love this one, this, ugh. how long do you think you need so I can know when this becomes a sin that I will need to confront you about? That, that, this is, ooh, if we, I think if we just did number one, we're going to take care of 90% of the... If we go to number five, it's, it's one of those things where 
This person is just not getting it. But uh, he says that the least that this will accomplish is that you'll either fall off the list of the gossip's favorite venting spots, right? He, they, don't you know people that you can't gossip around? They give off something like, why are you telling me this? You know, that you may fall off as being a, their favorite venting spots. The most, the best thing is that you may head off a church split, division, harmed souls, sidelined gospel ministry, and waylaid discipleship. He says, isn't that worth it? Uh, missionary Amy Carmichael said, speaking of gossip, never talk about, always talk to. Never talk about, always talk to. The next point in the catechism that I want to look at is where it says, never join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Boy, uh, James 1, 19 through 20 says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? Because the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. When I'm angry, it doesn't bring about what God desires. And I'm angry at someone. And we need to remember that we are not God. We are not omniscient. And usually there is more going on in someone's life or in a situation than we can see. Um, I, it's funny, I ran into somebody this week that I went to high school with. And this guy was a super athlete at our school. Very talented, very popular. And we're, but we're all, you know, we're, we're past our glory days so we can we can like be real with each other now. And I was talking to him and, and he was like, uh, you know, back in, in the day, I know I looked confident, and, but I was struggling with self-esteem and I found, I found my identity with that on that court or in the field. And I, I said, really? I said, I never would have thought that. And I said, but you know what? I was too. I was trying to find my identity in what I did instead of what God has done. We never know what people are going through. But, and when we're slow to listen, when we're quick to speak and we're quick-tempered, we often draw false conclusions that bring unnecessary strife and divisions within the body. Now, the end of the catechism is, is my favorite part of this Catechism, because I believe it captures the essence of the ninth commandment. Guard and advance my neighbor's good name. What does that mean, to guard and advance my neighbor's good name? It means I will love and I will protect my neighbor, their reputation, and I will seek to build him or her up rather than to tear them down at all costs. Families, friendships, uh, church fellowships have been burned to the ground because of disobeying the ninth commandment. Because we have not at times obeyed the law of love, loving God and loving one another. Now, in closing, what is our motivation to obey the ninth commandment? As followers of Christ, what will motivate us to guard and advance one another's good name. Well, Jesus says in John 13, and we're going to find the motivation here. Verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. There's the commandment, 
Now, where's the motivation? It's right after it, right after the colon. It says, just as I have loved you. That is the motivation. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another just as I have loved you. How has he loved us? How has Christ loved us? We need to think about that. Well, on the night of his arrest, Jesus stood alone before those who were bringing and bearing false witness against him where? In a court of law. The scripture says he was despised and he was forsaken of men. He was a man of sorrows that was acquainted with grief. It says, and like one who men hide their face from, he was despised. And, and we, we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs and our sorrows he himself carried. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We thought God is against him. But he was, says he was pierced through for our transgressions. Jesus was pierced through his hands his feet, his side, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. How did Jesus love us? The chastening, the punishment for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, him being beaten and scourged in our place, we are healed. Scripture goes on to say all of us like sheep, have gone astray. What does that mean? It means that all of us have broken all of God's commandments. We're guilty. We've gone our own way. We've turned each of us to our own way. And then here's the gospel. But the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. How has Jesus loved us. He says, love one another, do to others as I have done to you. He has loved us by refusing to forsake us, though we forsook him. He has loved us by humbly counting, our, counting us more significant than himself and considering our well-being above his own. That's how he loved us, sacrificially. And that's how we ought to love one another. Because when we seek to love one another as Christ has loved us, when we seek to guard and advance our neighbor's good name through truthful speech, our lives, church, will exemplify Jesus, will edify one another, and ultimately glorify our God. Amen? Amen.